Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, the tax depreciation experts. Today, we've got a buyer's agent expert. We've got Darren Piper, founder of Universal Buyer's Agents. Now, Darren works between the Sunshine Coast through Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and we talk to him about that part of the country at the moment, which is a very, very hot market for property investors and owner-occupiers. We talk to him about his background in sales and what that taught him that he can utilize to advocate for the buyer. We get a bit of a deep dive into the local markets and the areas that Darren sees as having the best potential for capital growth in the next little while. And he gives some great advice for investors on value adding, on purchasing properties that have got good upside potential and long-term potential. He's got some great advice for anyone that's wanting to get involved in property investing as well. Here's Darren. Darren Piper, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Mate, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's a bit uh, bit overdue. I've been following your stuff for a while. I had a look at the website yesterday. Very snappy video content. I'm looking forward to diving into you, uh, diving into you, diving into it with you today. <laughs> for, for anyone that hasn't um, come across you, Darren, uh, can you let us know who you are and what you specialize in? Yeah, so um, I'm the founder and director of Universal Buyers Agents. Um, we exclusively act for the buyer in the transaction and we cover uh, Brisbane Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So they'd really level the playing field and, um, yeah, get the right property at the right price for the purchaser. It's funny you say that because the way you explain it is, you know, we, we work for, for the buyer. It sort of seems like you might still be having a little bit of a resistance to the idea of what a buyer's agent actually does. Is it sort of not as strongly adopted in the areas that you work than it is, say, in, in Sydney? Um, yeah, look, that would definitely be a fair call. Um, I started Universal four and a half years ago, and back then there was sort of 330 to 350 buyers agents nationwide. Um, fast forward to today, my understanding is there's circa 12 or 1300. So it's a wow. growing part of the real estate sector uh, for a couple of different reasons, and you know that's a huge part of uh, what excites me, you know, with uh, what's down the path, but. Look, it's it's definitely a a, a stronger um, you know sourced after service, if you will, in Sydney. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, how did you get started in property, and what was your first investment, Darren? My very first investment, God, that was years and years and years ago, was actually a one bedroom plus study uh, at Broadbeach in a Wings apartment that we converted to a two bedroom, held it for a couple of years, and uh, and moved it on. Um, I got into property in real estate, so to speak, uh, uh, when was that? Six and a half years ago it was now. So um, started on the sell side um, for circa sort of two and a half years and then yeah, jumped into the buyer's agent space and started my own business, yeah, four and a half years ago. Beautiful. And I want to pick your brain about the sales stuff, but but before we do that, I want a little bit of, a, of an inside running into young Darren. What were the posters on your bedroom wall growing up? <laughs> The posters on my wall when I was growing up. Um, God, that's many moons and moons ago now, mate. Um, I think sports people from memory. Um, I actually can't recall, to be honest. Uh, it, was, it was that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> All good. I think um, normally that's that's part of my my set questions. I think I even uh, left that off my my list for you. So I've sprung that one on you. If anything springs to mind, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So prior to working in real estate, obviously did a bit of a stalking of your LinkedIn account because that's yeah. as sort of that's that's as high budget as the research department of this uh, <laughs> of this podcast can do. Um, you have a background in logistics. How, how did you get into that line of work out of school? I got into so after I left school, I actually worked in the family business for quite some time um, for a number of years, and that was essentially an import business. We used to import a lot of. Um, you know, industrial goods from uh, from China, and then a couple of years after that, my brother and I back then started a, uh, a motorbike or dirt bike shop down the south side of Brisbane. I used to go to China and do all the buying uh, when I was in my very very early twenties, sort of twenty to twenty two, I'd say. Used to go up to the Canton Fair and uh, Shenzhen and Guangzhou and that, and do all the purchasing with the factories, and then. Um, I guess the segue from there was to um, we ended up actually selling that business at that point in time and then moving into, um, I guess, more of a transport and logistics type role and that was with uh, the likes of QGC, the mining company, uh, and Komatsu who does uh, the machinery and ended up actually doing a couple of different things but, um, yeah, working out the mines in Chinchilla on a FIFO roster before I got into real estate and also a, um, you know, a flagship sort of um base if you will in brisbane for come up to direct you've done some living uh, in, in your in your earlier years I'm, I'm i'm interested in what it was like negotiating with the chinese i mean many years uh, ago i read the book asian mind game um which is about sort of negotiation with um with chinese predominantly how, how, how did how did that sort of work and and are there any takeaways that have helped you in your negotiation, which is obviously a big part of what you do now? I think when negotiating back then with the Chinese, because we were buying full containers of stock, you know, 20 and 40 foot containers to, to import to uh, to Brisbane, I think it's it's very much a cultural thing. Um, and, you know, the, the Chinese in general from a business standpoint, they're very, very commercial and they show very little emotion, right? So very different to dealing with, you know, your mum or dad uh, locally here, so to speak. Um, But it's all the small things that I think make the big difference when dealing with them. You know, you've got to build a strong rapport with them, which I think you do with anyone. But everything down to, like, from a cultural point of view, the Chinese will nearly always hand you your business card with two hands, holding the card at the same, you know, with both hands at the same time. I think there's a level of respect. You build the rapport with them and then it's strictly commercial. It really is. So uh, they're pretty black and white when it comes to negotiating, that's for sure. Very black and white uh, with the political situation such as it is at the moment as well, but that's another show. Um, (laughs) With property, was it the case that obviously you were on a pretty good wicket working as a professional and you bought some property and realised that there was something in it for you or was property a a passion that was always burning behind the scenes? I'd definitely say it was always a passion burning behind the scenes. Um, I'd owned property before I went into, you know, the mining or transport sort of sector. Um, so it wasn't really a, a, a case of being on a good wicket and moving into that space. I always had a passion for it. And I think over time that passion grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, having worked in the transport logistics sector for quite some time and uh, and going through that, uh, I, you know, going through that process really, I guess, crystallised for me that, I want to be in property in more of a you know a full time capacity, and hence the uh, the jump into the sell side originally. And how did you find the sales side of things? Did did you sort of think I, I want to be in property, and that was that was the obvious thing, or was that a bit of a stepping stone to to learning how they work to becoming a buyer's agent? 
No, so to be brutally honest, mate, I actually didn't even know that buyer's agents existed when I first got into real estate. Um, I, I'd started on the sell side and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I guess, depart from the sell side because I disliked it or anything like that. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. But as more time uh, had passed and I'd actually started to meet some buyer's agents through properties and I saw who my, you know, the, the potential competition would have been in Brisbane, it sort of made sense to jump into that space. And I knew it was always going to be a growing part of the sector there's probably a bit more of a work-life balance with it. And for me, it was also, you know, probably two other things, the sense of giving as opposed to taking, which unfortunately is, you know, the, the stigma uh, attached to selling agents. It sort of seems to be that case more so often than not. Um, but it's, you know, you get a lot more variety too, right, on the buy side. I mean, you know, I'll be up at Noosa one day looking at, you know, riverfront property. I'll be in Brisbane looking at townhouse. Like you're all over the place and that's, that's a huge part of what I like, but um, yeah, mate, no, no, no intention to get into the buy side uh, when I first got to real estate. That's for sure. <laughs> that must have been sort of a good background for you, though, in the work that you're doing today, understanding the the mindset of of the agent who, of course, is advocating for the vendor, but is very interested in getting the transaction across the line. Does that give you a bit of an insight as a as a BA? Definitely, definitely think it does. Without trying to sound biased, obviously. Um, there's very few, I can count on one hand in Brisbane how many buyers agents have actually been on the sell side before. Um, I do honestly think it brings value to the client that we now represent because I've had the selling training so I know how to you know, tackle that head on when we're dealing with the selling agents and why they say things and how they say things and you know, because I've been on that side of it before obviously. So yeah, look, I definitely think it brings more value to the, uh, to the client. And in the sort of intro of, of, of what you do, obviously, as a buyer's agent, you talked about levelling the playing field for, between the buyer and the vendor who is obviously advocated by the sales agent, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's seemingly a massive imbalance when there's not a buyer's agent working for the potential purchaser because if they're talking to the sales agent, then that person's not there to help them. As much as they might say, tell me what you're looking for and I'll keep an eye out and keep you on my database, they're, they're, they're never really working for the buyer, are they? No, that's exactly right, mate. I mean, I think it's a big misconception. We hear it all too often where, you know, we'll talk to a buyer that we're looking at signing and, you know, the perception is that uh, I've been through an open home, this agent's sort of running around looking for options for me. Like, you know, they've got one job at the end of the day and that's to list and sell, much like we've got a job to sort of obviously sign a client and buy. But I just think you've really got to take, if you're putting yourself in the shoes of a buyer, you've got to take it with a grain of salt and remember that they're being paid by the seller. Like they're there to sell you something, not there to... To make sure <laughs> yeah. right, right. So um, I think, yeah, you've got to tread with caution, that's for sure. And I think that that, that shift will change as, as more time passes, given that there's more awareness with what, what we do as buyers agents. Mm. And, and you know, yet people will tell the, the sales agent what their budget is and that sort of thing. I think, like, you've really got to be keeping the cards a bit close to your chest, you know, say put something in front of me that looks like this and then, then we'll talk turkey. Yeah, mate, look, you're exactly right, that's for sure. Um, again, you know, just keeping front of mind that they're there to sell you something and getting paid by the seller. So keep your cards close to your chest, you know, do the right homework, um, you know, and, and go through the motions. But, yeah, just you, you've got to keep uh, some information to yourself at least uh, prior to obviously putting it on for forward or whilst you're going through the negotiation process. 
Yeah, and yeah. of course, purchasing a, a property, whether it be as an investment or a principal place of residence, is 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 a big transaction, and it's a and it's a dangerous world out there. I know that marketing spruikers are something that you come across uh, quite a bit, and are passionate about making sure that investors don't get caught in those webs. What what's the best advice that that you've got in in how to avoid getting into trouble, and and how we can actually spot someone that is a bit of a property spruker? I think to, to avoid it in answer to your first question, um, don't get caught up in the hype. You know, I hear of a lot of buyers that get, you know, sucked into, you know, with all due respect to developers, um, you know, and they're not all like this, but, you know, whether it's furniture packages, body corporates, you know, for free for a year, rebates, this and that, like, you know, it's the character obviously, you know, attract the, uh, the buyer and, you know, people can go into it with, um, you know, very emo- you know, with a very emotional uh, view on it because they think they're getting this free and that free and the reality is it's all worked into the fat at the same time. So you've got to look at it um, on a strictly a value basis, you know. Uh, we as a business don't buy much new property at all, like really, really, you know, next to none. Um, everything we're buying and, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to both but, you know, I'm a huge fan of buying existing property because it's circumstantial um, buying, right? You know, the seller is either upsizing or downsizing or relocating for a job like the motivation is completely different as opposed to walking into a display suite where the price is the price and that's it and you know the rebates are on the table so um i just take everything with a grain of salt is probably my advice and get professional uh, assistance should you need it yeah beautiful and uh i think yeah professional advice is absolutely key and and buyers agents such as yourself uh, are a great way to make sure that you're not falling on the on the wrong side of a deal when it comes to the, the investments that you prefer obviously you talked about established houses as being more of a preference than the new because of some of the inherent risks we talked about your in first investment being something that you converted from one to two bed is that is that sort of indicative of the types of stock that you prefer established with an opportunity for for some upside um yeah look i mean as we all know there's only a couple of ways to make money in property one being you know the obviously uplift from a capital growth point of view or trying to manufacture some equity in that property through the likes of a renovation right so um, look, I definitely think um, as a general comment, and it's obviously very much case by case and specific to, you know, each individual client based on their budget criteria and strategy, but look, existing stock, um, you know, where there is value add options, whether or not the client wants to do it, options are everything, I think, um, you know, super low vacancy rates, you know, solid returns, and just in an area where the property is, you know, low maintenance, um, you know, from the get-go so that it's going to serve its purpose and do its thing, you know, get its money working for you. And, and with the value add, let, let's say we are wanting to, to manufacture some equity, what are some of the things that you might look for that, that your trained eye can say, oh, look, this is going to be a, a relatively cheap uh, improvement for an uplift or or this might be a big one but the return on investment is, you know, going to be two or three times. What sort of things should we look out for? I think the, the you know, the, the obvious sort of, I guess, quick and convenient ones are really everything cosmetic, whether it's paint, carpets, um, you know, even replacing bench tops through the likes of a cabinet maker, but really not moving walls or raising, you know, not renovating, so to speak, just sort of the quick, easy wins. Even things like adding a carport, you know, they're, they're relatively cheap, they're easy to do, you can turn them around quick, all, all these types of things basically. So, 
Um, I, I just think there's a huge opportunity to sort of get in, you know, either do the work for those types of properties straight away, you know, have it revalued, draw off the equity and go again at some point, or even obviously just straight out from a rental return point of view, you're obviously going to get, uh, you know, fetch a higher return if the property presents better and has better attributes. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's something that property investors tend to miss sometimes as they let the the property fall into disarray. Absolutely. Let's talk talk to make commercial sense too, right? Like you don't want to overcapitalize either, whether it is something cosmetic or or more significant. You've got to, I think, still look at it commercially and look at what you're paying for the property, you know, what budget you're going to put to those, you know, those value-add options and then, you know, do the homework on, on, on finished product and see, you know, who you're going to, uh, I guess be competing against, right? Yeah, and and the demographics sort of fit into the equation there. You're you're wanting to to perhaps look to a property to to improve it in a way that appeals to the people that are looking to to either purchase or rent in that area. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Not necessarily. It's quite a mixed bag, to tell you the truth, mate. Um, like Some of the properties we've been buying with, I guess, value-add options that the the um, you know if you're talking straight out tenants as an example, the tenants that are renting them like it, it's a it, it, yeah, it's spread right across the board. You know you've got young families, a couple, you know two couples if it's a four bedder. Um, you know even some single professionals. You've got elderly downsizing. Like it's 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 quite broad. Um, and at the price point that we're buying a lot of that type of stock in at the moment. Um, that's a large reason as to why, you know, vacancy rates are low, you've got a massive deep tenant pool there and things are just walking out the door. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's talk about the southeast Queensland market and I guess you, you're working between sort of Noosa at the north and Gold Coast at the bottom. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm interested in what's happening on the ground right now. Yeah, look, the Sunshine Coast, our inquiry, we start up there, our inquiry for the Sunshine Coast would have tripled in the last six months. It's... Right. <laughs> It's pretty full. I literally get calls every day from people, whether they're Melbourne or Sydney-based, but wanting to buy up the Sunshine Coast. I think the Sunshine Coast definitely has a lot to offer, but like anything, you know, you've got to do the right homework. Um, and then, you know, coming back to Brisbane, you know, Brisbane's just going from strength to strength. I mean, stock's extremely tight at the moment, but there's also, you know, there's also a, um, you know, a ton of infrastructure going in with like Queen's Wharf, the airport upgrade, etc. So, you know, Brisbane in general, I think he, he, he has got some, some decent legs and a, a solid runway in front of it. The Gold Coast is, is very buoyant and strong too. I'm probably more of a huge fan um, from the, the, the southern end, you know, your Palm Beach, Chugan, Eleonora. Um, that's really firing at the moment. I think there's a huge, huge opportunity there to, um, to value add as well, just talking about what we discussed before. So, yeah, look, the, the market across all three is really, it's honestly not slowing down at all. With, with places like the Gold Coast or well, South Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast, is, is this a pandemic influence? People stuck in, in Sydney or even worse, Melbourne that are, that are dreaming of wide open spaces and a bit of sunshine or is this a, a, a deeper trend that was happening pre-pandemic? 
It's it's actually a bit of both. I mean, pre pre COVID, so to speak, um, all three markets were still very strong and buoyant. You know, obviously the layer with southern migration, with the borders now open, and you know, people I guess waiting for that to happen in previous months. That's definitely added a layer of um, uh, demand, um, you know, to those markets, and that, in my opinion, is going to go from strength to strength as well. Given that sort of, the, I guess, the floodgates are open somewhat now, but the local clientele is. Um, is very active, very, very active. You know, I think a lot of it's still to do with, you know, low interest rates and everything like that. Um, the southern end of the Gold Coast too, I mean, you know, those suburbs that I mentioned before, you know, you've got ease of access to the motorways. I mean, you think of the, the northern end like uh, Southport and Service Paradise, very condensed, a lot of units. You pull off at Smith Street, you're still driving for another 20, 25 minutes before you get to your destination where the likes of Palm Beach and that, you literally pull off the M1, you're straight in the suburb. You know, so it's a little bit more convenient with things like that. You're closer to Coolangatta Airport um, and the likes of Palm Beach alone. There's only one what I would deem high-rise there on the corner of the Gold Coast Highway and 19th Ave. The complex is actually called 19th Ave. Everything else there is, I'm going to say, 12-ish stories. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't have quite that northern end feel to it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. A lot of, you know, 70s and 80s blonde brown brick properties there that you can value-add to quite easy. So... Yeah, that that part of the market there is uh, is, is powering ahead. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess in in downtown surfers there's a there's a little bit of a, an appendage measuring contest with developers trying to get the tallest residential tower over and over again. So that that causes some supply concerns. Whereas you're saying in the south there's I assume height restrictions or at least less of a developer appetite with the local council that keeps it a bit tighter. Mate, spot on. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let's talk about Brisbane for a second because it's sort of frustrating for a lot of people, I think, been in the news for about five or ten years as the next boom uh, region, but it sort of seemed like it's had a bit lacklustre performance. The The price differential has always been something that the media has talked about, right? So, yeah. you know, this is the average income in Sydney and Melbourne. Here are the house prices. The average income might be 5 or 10% less in, in Brisbane, but the house prices are half. Mm-hmm. Um but that, that hasn't been enough to, to push it. What's been going on in the last sort of 10 years and is that changing now? Look, I think Brisbane's been one of those cities where, look, to be brutally honest, I don't think it's ever going to get to the dizzy heights that Sydney has. It's just a different market. It really is, you know. Um, In saying that, you know, we were extremely busy pre-COVID and it was starting to really move and quite significantly. Um, You know, I think you got to look at all the infrastructure that's going in, again, just the general market conditions with the likes of interest rates. But what I've noticed, and, and this has been probably one of the biggest shifts from my opinion, is the whole COVID situation like we have fed very well in the scheme of things, I'm purely talking property, um, compared to the southern states. Apart from a very short period of time here, I mean, you've all, it's almost been business as usual in the sense that you can still go to open homes, still bid at auction. There was a period that you couldn't, but it was very short, uh, whereas yeah. the likes of Melbourne, completely locked down. Sydney obviously went through something similar, but a bit shorter. So there's been a lot of spotlight for those southern investors that are sitting there going, oh, okay, maybe now is the time to look at Brisbane or the Gold Coast. So there's a huge focus on Queensland in general at the moment. Um, I think that coupled with what you mentioned before as far as barrier to entry, you know, bang for your buck with what you're getting, you know, compared to the southern states, you know, generally speaking, again, high returns. I mean, I know firsthand the amount of Sydney, uh, you know, investors that we deal with and, 
you know, again, depending on a number of factors, but you start talking 5% returns here or 6%, depending on the property, <laughs> their jaw hits the floor because they're used to twos yeah. and threes, you know. So um, I think that 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 is a huge factor uh, as well. And we're now starting to have similar conversations with those, uh, I guess, sort of people from Melbourne too. Mm, yeah, I think you're going to be uh, a busy lad for the next <laughs> little while. Absolutely. Is, is there anything that, that COVID has, has kind of changed about the demand that's likely to, to, to stick around? I mean, we talked a little bit about people that are looking to greener pastures because they've been locked down, but feasibly yeah. it's it's just a bit of a knee-jerk thing. Are you finding that that people are, are getting a bit of a, a hybrid model between working at home, working at the office, office and are more yeah. interested to live out on the city fringes? Absolutely, and we're seeing that across Brisbane, Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. You know, I think the whole sort of shake-up with COVID from an employment point of view with people now being able to work from home and the likes of has definitely started to shift the focus with people that, you know, want to move to the Sunshine State, so to speak, and, you know, because they can work from home, right? And we've dealt with clients like that and we're currently dealing with clients like that. So um, I don't think that will stop in the short to medium term. I think it will plateau out you know, in, in a couple of years, but it's, it's front of mind for those Southerners at the moment. And again, like we not only even long ago bought a property for a first home by a couple, uh, we secured it off market at Stafford and they, that was the exact situation, I guess, scenario with them. They could have stayed in Melbourne. They just thought, look, now's our time. We want to move back to, uh, to Queensland, sort of, you know, get, get the better weather. It's a bit cheaper up there. And, and uh, both of their, uh, you know, job roles allowed them to work from home. So it was a case of why not. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, I think it's definitely been the case during the pandemic that the further north you are, the better, yes, um, not yes. just the sunshine. We've, we've highlighted a couple of areas that you see as, as having some hot markets or some good potential, but can we circle back and, and pick your brain about the best areas for property investors that are looking for some really good growth over the next couple of years? So if we just, I guess, cover off on Brisbane, the biggest opportunity that I see is that sort of, you know, sort of, I guess, 15 to 20-ish K out. Even suburbs like, um, you know, like Bracken Ridge, uh, Fitzgibbon, Castle Dine, you know, it's very cheap to buy there. You know, you look at, uh, I think the last time I looked at vacancy rates at Fitzgibbon, they were under 1%. I think it was 0.68 from memory. Again, so things are walking out the door pretty quickly there and there's huge value-add options from a property point of view. Um, that, that, that pocket through there is doing quite well. I mean, we've got a pretty big focus on it at the moment. Um, southern end of the Gold Coast as well, those pockets that I mentioned before, again, Chugan, Eleonora, uh, Palm Beach and the likes of. As soon as you come out a little bit further north, i.e. Burley, uh, I think Burley's had its run. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and then Sunshine Coast, you know, pending budget, I'm still a huge fan of uh, Sunrise, Sunshine and Parisian. And uh, Excellent. That's a beautiful part of the world too. I've had the pleasure of, of Parisian before. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm just about to book a holiday, so you've just got me, uh, got the mouth watering. Uh, I, you're I'm not, not looking to buy, are you? <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk off air, eh? Um, when, when it comes uh, to the the vacancy rates, you, you mentioned how how you know that we're getting around to what I think you said point six eight percent. So really, anything under under two percent is getting tight. So in a lot of places, it's really really tight. Yet yes, we 
we've seen uh, lending commitments from first home buyers just absolutely soar in the last little while. Why is the rental market still so tight when we're getting a lot of people that are buying their first home and, and exiting the rental market, do you think? I think it just still comes down to supply and demand. I mean, stock on the market is relatively tight at the moment anyway. So you've still got a mix in that buyer pool that's active between investors and owner rocks. So it just starts to really filter a portion of it out. Um, I think I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I really don't. I think naturally, as soon as you know, if there was a flurry of stock in the first quarter of next year, which I just can't see happening, but if that was the case, then it's it is just a supply and demand thing. I mean, you've got more options on the market. You've got you know probably more investors buying if they if, if that side of it's ramping up, and then naturally more choice for a tenant, uh, which then starts to sort of dilute things a little bit. But that's simply just not the case at the moment. Um, I bought a property uh, at Little Mountain uh, at the Sunshine Coast on Saturday for a local client. And uh, when we looked at that point in time, I think there was uh, it was a three-bedroom house. There was literally one property on the market, a three-bedroom in total, regardless of price or anything like that, literally one three-bedroom house. Right. So, yeah. you know, um, they're the type of pockets that we're buying for a couple of different reasons, but vacancy rates are definitely a, um, a huge part of what we focus on amongst others. When it comes to investors, do you expect them to be a little bit more active in the next little while or are we still going to see the owner-occupiers really leading the charge? Because investors have been really quiet since probably 2017 at the peak. I think... Yeah, look, it's an interesting question, mate. I definitely think it will, like for us anyway, and I just speak with, with what we're seeing, um, I think the investment demand is going to certainly creep up. I don't think it's going to, you know, double overnight or anything like that. I think it's going to be probably a bit of a slower burn as far as demand goes and those entering the market. I think one of the things that are also going to drive it is, you know, off the back of these COVID situations, the dust starts to settle a little bit more. It's just a, a peace of mind and certainty thing, right? I mean, a lot of in both investors and owner-occupiers sat on their hands there for, for quite a while. Um, and I think as we come out the other side of that in southeast Queensland here, it's just a confidence thing, that's all. Mm. And from a macro point of view, there's a lot to be confident about. Yes, the pandemic has given us a bit of a hiding, but internationally uh, comparing other countries and their response, uh, we've done really, really well, especially, especially up your way. We've got interest rates record lows again we've been saying record lows for years but it's actually dropped again <laughs> i know right <laughs> what what's perhaps even more interesting is the serviceability floor dropping um from the banks and and changing the the onus of of the ability to repay the loan to the to the um person that's got the loan rather than the bank and the property market is is tight i think supply is going to stay tight there the construction has really sort of slowed down during the pandemic what what's your sort of crystal ball telling you about the the, the overall property market for the next little while i think uh so if we talk let's just say you know the next rolling 12 months so basically to the end of next year Subject to, um, you know, stock availability changing drastically, which I honestly, hand on heart, don't think it's going to, I think we're going to stay in a very similar market to what we're in now. I think it's going to be super competitive. I think there's going to be multiple offers on, you know, a lot of different price points. I think auction clearance rates are going to continue to stay high for Queensland, which, you know, not really an auction state compared to, say, uh, or city, should I say, compared to, um, you know, Melbourne or Sydney. So I don't, I don't think anything's going to change in the short term. I think 
you know, a lot of buyers that we're talking to are asking a very similar question. Oh, should I wait? You know, is it going to settle down a little bit? My answer, if I had to give it black and white, is no. <laughs> I don't think it's going to. So I, I think we're sort of, you know, we're definitely in a rising market across Brisbane, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast. So, you know, if there's any advice that I can give to anyone out there, it's, you know, it's don't wait to buy, it's buy and wait. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. When, when it comes to the the property investors that that you see that you that you work with, especially the repeat uh, offenders that are purchasing multiple properties, is there anything that you see in them that is something that we could learn from? So the successful investors, what are they doing well? What what differentiates them in your view? Yeah, look, I mean, the risk profile of every investor is vastly different, but uh, again, as a general comment with uh, the clients, well, you know, we've dealt with over the years is being somewhat risk adverse, having a crystal clear plan, you know, buying in those suburbs that are tipped for, you know, growth or in a growth corridor, so to speak, but not, you know, not going overboard with it as well, uh, as well if that makes sense. You know, buying the low set three or four bedroom brick, you know, there, where there is value add options, you know, barrier to entry is easy uh, from a price point of view and just not overextending yourself. You know, we always say to clients if, you know, I mean, we get a lot of clients that come to us and they're saying, you know, I've got seven, eight hundred thousand to spend on an investment, and honestly, ninety nine percent of the time, we we end up buying something at six or six fifty. You know, and our advice mm-hmm. to them is, you don't need to spend every dollar that you've got because it's not about <laughs> spending tax budget; it's about getting the right property. You know, so and that allows them to obviously go again from a serviceability point of view, um, and yeah, just just not overextend. And you've got a diversification play there as well. I mean, the better deals might be at the 500 point and you've got the opportunity to perhaps buy two of them. Mate, spot on. Absolutely. That, it, it's, that's very, very true, you know. So not only from a price point of view but from a location point of view too, right, and, and style of property, you know. Um, you've, you've got to mix it up a little bit but obviously follow follow the market and follow the trends. So I guess, you know, like any investor, you've, you've got to look at it commercially. Definitely keep the emotion out of it. It not, might not be what you know you would live in yourself, but you know if it if it uh, ticks the boxes, you know matches the strategy and makes sense, then yeah, it needs to be considered. Yeah, absolutely solid advice. When it comes to the the market at the moment, even for investors, I guess it's difficult not to get emotional because it's so tight. Um, so I'm guessing that you've got plenty of people wanting to buy, but stock is is hard to find at the moment. Is, is that the case? And if so, do you do you have some advice for people that are searching to to make their offers a little bit more attractive? Yeah, I think when it comes to offers, you know, whether you're an investor or an owner occupier. Get all your ducks in a row, like have a conversation with your broker, you know, obviously get your pre-approval in place, but have the conversation with the broker or lender before putting an offer forward around how short you can make your finance timeframe, you know, whether it's, you know, something subtle like seven business days as opposed to 14 calendar days, which I mean 14 is pretty much the norm for everyone. You know, it's just a psychological thing with the likes of sellers looking at seven on a contract as opposed to 14, even though it's business and it's, you know, it's ended up being not that far off, but just really getting, I guess, qualified, having your ducks in a row and being able to make a decision quick. You know, we're in a market where if you go through a property on Saturday um, and you're going to sit on your hands till Tuesday, well, you're probably going to miss out on it. You know, that's 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 the reality. The other thing too is, you know, is uh, the conversation around off-market property. Like we as a business purchase, you know, I think this calendar year it's sort of 42 or 45% of what we've secured is off-market. 
right? right? So, you know, the advantage with that is obviously next to no competition, if none at all. Um, you know, you can go through, you can take your time a little bit more. Um, you know, you can you can negotiate slower. It doesn't have to be as hard and fast, um, you know, amongst other things. So, And it's obviously a lot, you know, a lot less stressful for the buyer too. So trying to get uh, access to off-market property, either to the likes of ourselves or um, any other way. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely always a lot of choice out there that buyers don't know about. Yeah, and I mean that's a huge percentage of of off markets. It's a bit like sort of um, you know applying for a job and only looking on Seek. Where if you've got recruitment <laughs> consultants, you know people will go go straight and avoid all the all the resumes and that sort of stuff. I, I I'm interested. Just this is a little bit of a side thing, but why why is the market so so tight from a listings point of view people aren't selling and it makes sense during the pandemic that people didn't want to sell because they thought it's the bottom of the market now i think we're at the point where the markets have have recovered really any losses and maybe even in advance why do you think vendors are still sitting on their hands and we're not getting the the sort of the spring or the summer selling season I think because it's such an unprecedented event that we've gone through, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty from a, a vendor's point of view. You know, like we speak to hundreds and hundreds of agents across all different markets and, you know, typically at this time of year, they're having conversations with sellers that are saying, oh, look, you know, I'm, at, I'm thinking of selling but I'll launch first thing in the new year. Like that really hasn't been the feedback. So a lot of sellers are still sitting on their hands. I honestly think it's those that have uh, – you know, been in a property for quite some time, they've got a lot of equity, they're in a financial position where they don't have to sell in a distressed manner and they're just, honestly, they're just writing it out to see what happens, you know, in the next sort of year or two. And that's why I think stock's going to stay somewhat the same over the next at least 12 to 24 months, at least 12 for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, you know, prices will continue to to do well and then people will see the opportunity and the certainty and we might see them hitting the market a little bit. But, um, yeah, the opportunity I think is now. Darren, how do people get in touch with you if they want to have a chat to you? Yeah, so they can simply go to our website, uh, universalbuyersagents.com.au or uh, give me a call direct on the mobile, 0423 853 771. How's that for access? Straight on the mobile. <laughs> now, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to property investors at the moment, what would that be? Take your time. There's always the next one. Um, but, you know, get all your ducks in a row from a finance point of view. But just put yourself in a position too where you're going to make an informed decision. You know, don't shoot from the hip and make an emotional decision. Again, there is always the next one. Um, you know, and if you're struggling, get a buyer's agent. Beautiful. Love it, mate. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom today. I've learned a lot and it sounds like you've got to get back to work. (laughs) I certainly do, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, mate.